Welcome to the Stats Check Podcast with your hosts, Andrew and Joe. Follow us on Facebook at Stats Check Podcast and Twitter at Stats Check Cast. Also, check us out and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, where we're now available. Now to this week's review of Neon Genesis Evangelion, episodes one to seven. Joe. No. We're doing it. No. I don't want to. We're doing it. Get in the robot, Joe. Get in the robot. You tricked me. You lied to me. You don't want me for me. You just wanted me here because I know more about this than anybody else you know. That's not the type of attitude I want from you, pilot. If you're going to act like that, just get out of here. Can I really? I'm like, I'm just going to switch this mic off then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hold up, though. Who's going to edit this podcast? <laughs> Nobody. It's never going to see the light of day the same as that unit would never see the light of day. I was going to say the same as Shinji's virginity or what? We're getting way ahead of our- <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you spammed some indecent memes right before we launched this, but... Let's not even, let's not start at the end. Let's start at the beginning, even though the beginning has kind of like a jump to the end and rewind feel to it. Sure. But let, let's, let's, let's do a little bit. Cause you know, we're, we're jumping into the, the first of what's going to be several episodes talking about Ava. And, you know, we just, I think what need to make a couple comments on why we're doing it now. I think the biggest announcement and then this is something that i think is huge you know for any piece of media is that ava is coming to netflix you know in the spring hey look even even your boy elon musk was excited about it yo don't uh, i swear you i'm not even gonna be able to hold myself in one piece if you keep doing this i told you you're about to go berserk maybe yeah i'm i know this is like we're just acting out the first episode here. You're going to keep prodding me until... I just dropped the N2, the N2 mine of uh, SpaceX, you know, right on your dome. Look, let, let's back this up before we even get into this, because you're right. It's coming to Netflix after almost 24 years from its initial release. Why do we care? Why is this the most important thing for us to pick up right now? Why am I so nervous about doing this? Well, you tell me, Joe. You're you're you know you're the one who explained to me how big of a cultural phenomenon this was. To me, I always thought you know Ava w- was up there. It was it was you know it was big enough, but I, I never thought of it on the level of something like Gundam or Macross that just has so much volume of media. Right. And I think, again, this is like jumping to the end, but there are so many things about Evangelion that it took from, you know, even in the 90s, the burgeoning corpus of, you know, you say Gundam, it took that and in different ways turned it on its head and made people really reflect on a lot of things about that, about what made that so popular, so successful. And in doing so, not only did it vault itself on that on the crest of that wave, but it did something that none of those series had done before to that point. And I mean, considering they're still making like remakes, remasters, re whatever, as much as I want to tell them they cannot continue, they are. And it carries the weight. I hate to say it. Yeah, but I, but I just have to throw out there that, that, you know, making more of something doesn't necessarily make it great media. I mean, I'm sorry, but Pirates of the Caribbean 22 will be out. You know, that does not make every single one of them great. I mean, it, it, it certainly, I think, captured 
captured a moment, certainly. And for me, I think what's important about this is it it came at a point in my life, and we'll, we'll get to this more in later episodes, but it came at an important part of my life where I was really thinking about a lot of different things. And, you know, it, it really was thought provoking in its time. No, I want to get to that right now. I think that's important because <laughs> I watched this for the first time when I was about the age of the main characters in it. The same for you. Yep. And I think that was really important for why, you know, generationally for us and for the people like us out there who have been fans of this for a while, as much as I loathe to admit it, it was really definitive for some more than others, probably for myself more than most, but it still touched so many things that we were experiencing in our lives then. I mean, you were just telling me right before we started here that this took you back as soon as you fired up that first episode to a scene in your own life. Yep. And, you know, it was it was a interesting time. You know, I had different friends. It's, it's, you know, the first time I saw it was with a friend who I no longer speak to at all whatsoever, no longer associate with, you know, but at the same time, you know, it it, it meant a lot in that moment to me, you know, and I, I drew so much out of that. And then from that, I had so many experiences. I mean, we played, you know, we had a, we had an RPG, you know, that was related to that. Yo, yo, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to, like, tell you to stop right there, because if you go a step further, I'm going to cut it from the tape. Oh, I know. I'm just saying that there's a lot of stuff that went on around this kind of corpus. And not just Ava, but I mean, in general, along the media that's along this, this, this axis, you know, shit, we, I think multiple people wrote Ava fanfic, right? I mean, you know, certainly Reddit. Of people on this planet or people that you are on a first name basis with? A first name basis with? I mean, I know people who wrote Ava fanfic and I certainly read it. <laughs> yes. I'll tell you, there's not a lot of good stuff out there. No, no, it's not good, but... Prove me wrong, internet. Come at me with your best. But it's it's still... It still wasn't a, a strong impact for the moment that it came out. You got to stop. Ed's not here to, to boo down your puns, but you can't keep doing that. But it, it, being 14, and I think that's the, the, the critical part there, you know, us being literally capable of getting in the robot and saying that I will go step up and do this thing, Shinji, you know, that's, I think that, that just made it all the more impactful. So... Think that swings us around to episode one, then, huh, Joe? Yeah, which is the attack, right? Just you're going right into it, and it's such a great hook. I mean, this episode, I rewatched it. You know, I'm on the platinum edition DVDs here, which is like the third release. You're on the same, right? Yeah. You know, it's the graphics didn't age that well after this long. No. You know, I, I hate to admit it, but the rebuild does look really pretty compared to this but this gets you with you know all the right things to like draw you in you know the suspense the scale the intensity and vivid action i mean even though you don't get any robot battle in episode one you know it 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 moves you along at a pace that you know even for this series is hard to match any other time and can, can we can we rewind to, to one thing that always gets me actually rewind and fast forward simultaneously I still love that damn intro and the ending. I mean, I, I love, I've always loved Fly Me to the Moon for many reasons, but, you know, I, the, both the intro and the ending music, still classic, still trigger, you know, so many memories when I hear them. And trigger is the word. 
and and are so I, I think such a good entryway into the series. You know, it kind of sets the mood, sets the scale, and I've always you know felt like I was ready for Ava when I hear that intro intro song coming on. <laughs> and there's minimal Shinji in the entry song. It's also you know the it's also kind of previewing all the important things of the series. I mean. Shit, you have like Adam flashing up there, Lilith, zero two, I mean zero one, zero zero, like all of them flash through. So I mean you get like a preview. Yeah. It it and that was that's what astounded me actually rewatching this. You know, these early episodes, you know, I always feel like a lot of this story is about unpacking a mystery of what's really going on here. And they name drop so many things early on that I was kind of shocked after rewatching it after so long not watching it. Yeah, and without without even like going to you know, it's been a while since I've like gone to Google, and and I did not do this. I'm going to disclose for this for this you know rewatch here. I didn't you know go to Google to pick out all the Easter eggs and the hints and you know where to pause everything, the frame by frames. Oh yeah, forget. I mean, there are people out there who I will shout out with hate at the end of this later that have worked this over to the bone, and that's not what we're about here. That's not what we're doing with this time. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to throw that out there. But but that being said, even saying that, you know, and just watching it at normal speed, you know, I caught a lot of things, you know, even in this rewatch from like, oh, that's funny, or oh, look, it's a it's a drop or a mention or, or it's a little hint, you know, and and I think that was like really appreciated. Sort of like you know, some some series you don't gain much from a rewatch, but I think this is one that you can gain a lot from a rewatch. Mm-hmm. And I think that tells you a lot about what the foundation for, you know, this cultural phenomenon, as you've put on me saying, is really about. It's about something that you can genuinely call a masterpiece because, you know, regardless of all the historical circumstances, it turned out to be something that holds such high density value. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into that here, you know, in different ways. Sure. And, and let's so let's rewind the clock here to the year 2015 because you know apparently all this stuff happened four years ago at this point, right? Right. I remember you know I was on Tumblr in 2015 when it was the year of Evangelion and people were all over the place. Well, it's, it's Blade Runner this year, right? I mean, you know, it's just always going to be you know these these older series that predicted what would happen and then it didn't happen and right. But you know, in this one, it's more plausible, I'd say, than most because it's an alternate timeline that splits off from a believable place. Right. And, you know, it's funny because if you look at some of the the things that are in there, for example, um, the opening, right? It has all the UN forces, the tanks and everything else. Well, the planes they have are really like kind of like Ospreys, you know, they're kind of like the VTOL sort of, you know, hovering. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The design was definitely something that was in the works for a long time. And it's an interesting mix, you're right, of like slightly alternate future tech and still throwback stuff that they have left over. You know, all of those tanks, a lot of the naval vessels are things that we've seen in the world or are very close resemblances. Right. So, you know, that that's sort of the opening, which always, you know, I remember loving, um, you know, back in the day. It's iconic. I mean, Satchel there is iconic. I mean, they use that face, that silhouette, you know, to represent the the entity that are, you know, the angels, the Shito, the messengers, whatever you want to call them, Mm -hmm. depending on where you're coming from. 
Well, it's got that classic, yeah, the, not just the classic frame, but like the classic kind of color scheme, the black, white, the skull that's sort of at the center. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and just, you know, this, this oncoming impending doom, you know, the first of many. But it, it's it's also the right mix of like menacing and cute. You know, there's that moment where it kind of like cute, it tilts its head while they're shooting at it. They're like, what are you guys doing? You know? Yeah. And then it starts killing people and breaking arms. Right, but it's it does it in a, like a haphazard way. I mean, it's clearly an incredible danger, but it's also something that's kind of careless. It's not, you know, if when you compare it to the fight scene we end up seeing with Unit Zero One, they're clearly approaching it in different ways. Mm-hmm. So when we see Shinji, and get, correct me if I'm wrong here, when he's looking at the postcard, did she like kiss the postcard or something? Like, oh, she she does so. This is one of the weirdest things about Misato that they put out there right at the front is that yeah she is 100% willing to try to sort of emotionally manipulate him in ways that are not very subtle. She not only leaves a lipstick mark, but she draws an arrow pointing to her cleavage, you know, attention here. I mean, never mind that she's already in a provocative pose with provocative clothing. Right. You know, she she did this on purpose to try to, I don't know, get him into a mindset where he's pliable because... I was going to say, get get a like on Instagram. Oh, wait, that's before Instagram. She already had that tech, you know? Well, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, we would have never had Instagram in the post-second impact world, but I think it's really great that that impulse is captured, not just there, but in other parts that we'll talk about even in this episode, of people's social dynamics, their need for attention, their need for validation. Oops, that sounds like I'm talking about themes for the series. Let's get back to the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first thing you see is her wheeling. I mean, you know, Shinji muddling around trying to get on the phone. Well, no, I, I mean, let's let's be clear here. He does have this weird premonition vision of Ray that's there, which I think is... Oh, that, that's relevant. Yeah, that's very relevant. It's It's relevant. It's poorly understood. Nothing happens with it right now, but I think it's a good place to just sort of bookmark and say, you know, he sees her first. Got it. So, so that that is it's a strong argument in the best girl category, but we're not going there right now. Not, the, not yet. Well, I mean, if you want a different one, you know, Misato's entrance is that of like a classic action hero. Yes. You know, you don't see it often, but she's incredibly badass when she's in motion. Yeah, that Supra, those shades, I mean, that 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 did it for me. That's why she, when I was back in that day, she was my best girl. But don't, we're, we're not, we're not there yet. We we're can't not even talk yet. about that. We're, That's right. I'm, I'm trying to seal off certain things in myself that I don't want to just like vomit onto the tape here and get ahead. It's fine, but hashtag those shades. So that's, that link up is immediately, it's it, that interaction, you know. It's immediately kind of offsetting to the to the whole setting, you know, of of Ava and what's going on. I mean, you got this battle scene, and you know, she's kind of like glib and joking around, and you know, telling him to get in the car and kind of being kind of more almost casual about it, which is very, as you said, action heroy. But it kind of sets the the stage for that sort of interplay between Masato and Shinji. 
Yeah. I mean, you get a whole spectrum in this episode of what you're going to get. You're going to get, you know, grave danger. You're going to get people who are heroic, are comic, are even, you know, foolish. Right. And they have a great, you know, kind of rapport there of not actually really getting along that well at first. At first, you know, and then, of course, you see the clip cut to, you know, Gendo, who's focused on two things. You know, number one, picking up the spare, right? But number two, and probably more importantly, he drops it right there. He just cares about the protection of the human race. An admirable hero that we need <laughs> in these dark times. I'm going to put it out there. This is, this is my role model, you know. So everything I say from here on out, everything I have said for a long time running back, you know, watch out, everybody. <laughs> this is where I'm coming from. I appreciate the full disclosure so I can hate and tell you to trim your beard. <laughs> so, you know, you get you get essentially, you know, this, this nice kind of classic juxtaposition. And I think this is sort of the, the thing that brought me to Godzilla, brought me to all other, even other mecha series. Well, I probably brought Anno to Godzilla since he directed a recent feature film starring our favorite kaiju. Yeah, very true. But go on. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the classic scene of, you know, the military or conventional weapons, and even Gundam has this too, when they'll bring out the conventional weapons, you know, the tanks, the old battleships to try to fight the new mecha, the new thing, you know, and they just fail in the face of this. And therefore you need the Gundam mecha something else, you know, so I mean, this is classic interplay. And I love it. And Joe, you know, especially since we've been talking about South Korea, that I love me some good nukes. <laughs> and, you know... Seeing that into mine go off, you see, you see them call it in. That just that does the thing for me, man. It does the thing for me. Yeah, and and this is this is one of the smaller ones too. But yeah, I remember even watching it the first time, and it was pretty mind blowing how they escalated this up. They're like, yeah, we're sparing no expense on this. You know, all these tanks, these missiles. We're gonna carve a hole in the earth here. Anything to stop this thing and. Right. It took it took, uh, what, two movies for Alien to get to uh, nuking it from orbit, right? <laughs> yeah, it took them about five minutes. Exactly. So this 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 escalated quickly, but it's classic. And, you know, you just love the the interplay there. And also just the reveal for the geo front, too. I mean, that's fantastic. Just seeing this sort of scheme that they have set up in this, you know, where the city kind of is inverted. And, you know, you have the base, the pyramid, the pool. And, you know, it's super impractical. I mean, just thinking about it that way, you're like, why would you even have, you know, a city there? Right. I, I was actually reading the abstract for a paper on geological disturbances and problems in trying to detect earthquakes if you're going to build underground. And I'm like, yeah, you know, there are probably some difficulties here. Right as I'm watching Evangelion, where they're living in this giant dome underground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, seems crazy, but we'll get back to that later why we're even there. Shinji sure doesn't know. Shinji just thinks, you know, this is the coolest thing he's ever seen, probably. Yeah, and, and you know, for him, I think that's one of the few moments of excitement he has this episode, right? I mean, Shinji, to me, is frustratingly, like, monosyllable, right? I mean, he, he, is, the, he is, you know, hitting repeat on the same notes. But this is one of the <laughs> few times I actually liked him, and I found myself, you know, watching it through and saying, ah, well, there's a Shinji I can, like, identify with, you know, the wonder of seeing something cool. Well, I, I, I want to, you know, I want to stop you there because I think identify with is something that a lot of people have trouble with 
with him. Like, I agree. Frustrating is the best word. I mean, this episode, episodes after, you know, he runs away, he comes back, he can't decide whether or not he's going to do this thing. And yet, you know, again, this is something that lots of people have harped on that other people have missed, supposedly, that, you know, your normal 14-year-old kid thrust into a war zone with some kind of super monster is probably going to behave somewhat similarly, you know, so I think it's identifiable that he goes through a lot of really frustrating experiences when we're looking at it from the outside. Sure. I mean, and there's, there's, you know, <laughs> nobody can put, a, I guess, a premium on PTSD, but a lot of the other things, you know, you can relate to. And I think those are part of it, you know, having a, a disapproving father is something that I think a giant segment of, of humanity can deal with. Maybe not on Gendo's level, but... Right. I, you know, I, you know, it's a different, it's a new, it's a new, it's a new high, but it, it's, it's still something that is not completely alien versus piloting a, a giant robot in the pretty much a haptic suit where, you know, when it gets its arm broken or it gets beat up or penetrated or blown up, you're feeling that that's uh it's a lot. Right. And, and, you know, I was wondering about that when I was watching it again, did they even warn him that it was going to hurt? No, because it wasn't in the manual, right? Yeah, it just cuts to like him up there getting tossed. And he's like, oh, no, Shinji, it's not your arm. Don't worry about it. It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, he just watched this thing snap into pieces. And if it feels even a fraction of that, I mean, good on him for staying awake. You know, he didn't pass out. And to clarify, like the, the sync ratio, if, I, if I'm recalling correctly, like the higher the sync ratio, the more your pain like the more it's going to feel like it actually is real right so you're synchronized with the ava you're going to be more the reaction time of the ava is going to be better you're going to be more responsive so that's the, the benefit yeah i don't know that it's ever definitively explained but i think that theory is as good as anything so he's i think somewhere around 40 percent yeah it's 41 percent but like you know even if you're feeling only 41 percent of the pain of getting your wrists broken like that's yeah that's pretty painful I mean, considering this is Shinji, who up until this point hasn't really had anything bad physically happen to him. I mean, I think he says somewhere way later in the series that like he's lived trying to avoid pain. You know, he's not a guy like Toji who's clearly embracing his physical life. Yo, 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 yo. We'll get to the physicality of my boy Toji. Right. right no, I, I mean, I'm trying to prod you a little bit because you are dragging. Episode one is great. It might be the best one, but... Well, it lays the foundation for a lot of stuff. So I think that's why it's worth, you know, it's worth spending a little bit of time here. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let you do it. I'll, I'll let you play. Uh, yeah. But I, I mean, we're going to do a lot of speed on the, the, the rest of the episodes here. And, and just to get through. I wonder. Just to get through them. I mean, you got like Ritsuko, right? And I love that introduction. You know, she comes out of the swimsuit and essentially like boob bumps Masato, like attacks her with her boobs. Like. Uh, you know, it's like just pushes forward. It's like, all right, this is the the woman on woman battle here. Well, it's I mean, if you want to go to that, that's like a very male coded kind of confrontational thing. You know, I was watching sure. like road rage videos today while I was eating lunch. And it's like, yeah, people like step up to each other and like rub their chests on each other trying to intimidate. You know, it's it's kind of silly when you describe it in words, but getting up in your personal space. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's pretty much just, hey, we're going to put him in there. You know, he's functional and, you know, it's sink or swim. 
So, you know, it. Ritsuko is scary. Uh, it is what I decided after watching these first few episodes. Th- those eyebrows still get me. I, at first, I was like, oh, I kind of like her. I kind of like the hot scientist type. You know, it's like very, you know, appealing. But at the same time, something, something. I think it's the eyebrows. Oh, I like her even more that she's scary. You know, now that I'm reflecting on it at my advanced age here. Well, you would channeling Gendo over there. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. And, you know, of course, speaking of the other woman involved, I, I love the response about, you know, Ray being like, well, she's not dead. I, I want to talk about that scene. Sure. Because I think I don't think I ever noticed this before, no matter how many times I've watched this, which is a lot. You know, he's up there on this platform looking down at Shinji. Clearly, he set the scene here to try to, you know, browbeat his son into doing this. Yes, yes, yes. But at the same time, you know, when Shinji's there kind of unable to give an affirmative answer, you know, you you get this cut of like the lower half of Gendo's face and he looks almost pensive, almost distraught, anxious. And, you know, then that then it ends and he goes into exactly what you just said there. You know, Ray's not dead. Put her in. Mm-hmm. And you you think of him as a guy who's very good at having a poker face, but maybe up there in that perch, in that room where nobody can really see him up close, you know, he lets it slip a little bit. You know, maybe he does care about something here. Maybe it's not his son, but, you know, he's not totally without some kind of empathic connection. I mean, maybe it's just to his dead wife and the robot, spoiler alert, but... Yeah, I, 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 I think it's to the project. I think it's to, you know, protection of humanity and the, uh, as we'll get to the human instrumentality project. But but he has an emotional attachment to it, is what I'm saying. You know, I, I think the body language there... Oh, and, yeah. But you see because, later... Because with, the, pro- the whole project is at stake. I mean, think about the circumstances. You know, if this doesn't work, well, number one, they're probably all dead. No, they're 100% all dead. But but also, you know, all their plans, everything they want to put into action is done. Yeah, but but that but that doesn't, you know, to jump ahead a little bit, that doesn't motivate him to go pull Ray out of the ejected plug when she's in danger in that flashback. Mm. He's not totally isolated from other people, even if he does have problems. <laughs> You know, there's something there. I don't know if we're going to be able to pull it apart completely here. No, I mean, I'll speculate on how problematic it is, but, you know, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Well, I mean, there are there are a lot of things going on there, but yeah, yeah. I mean, daddy issues are definitely happening here writ large. Right, and I think a lot of them intentionally designed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, again, you know, he put he's he's very clever. You know, he puts himself in a position to make the most of those daddy issues. Right. Right. And he's not the only one. No. And that's there's mommy issues, too, across the board. You know, as I mean, why? You know, Misato puts herself in this role of being like this. Erzat's mother. Yes. Yeah. It's somewhere between like older sister, mother out-of-reach love interest for Shinji. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sort of aspirational love interest. Yeah. Or, or almost like aspirational um, sexual interest. Right. And, I mean, she plays that from start to finish, all of these different roles at different times. I mean, it pretty much is, you know, he's he's essentially, uh, <laughs> I would almost say, like, cuckolded by, you know, by, by the situation with, with Masato. Yo. Yeah, yeah. 
Look, it, it's, look, it's interesting. Kaji's the one that makes the pass on Shinji first, right? That that's true. That's true. But that's a little bit ahead of where we are. We're we're not there yet. Where we are is watermelons. Watermelons. So where we're at right now is the angel battle, which takes us into episode two. And and frankly, I at first I thought it was you know there was a glitch here that I missed something by the fact. Oh, no. When you go into episode two, it's like, wait, he's in the bed. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Unexpected ceiling. Okay, what's going on here? <laughs> and then you get the, cl- the clip later where it's, uh, you know, it changes to the beast, and then it segues into mm-hmm. the actual battle. And we find out that, essentially, Shinji can't fight for shit. <laughs> he ended up going berserk and taking out that motherfucking angel, but in, in a glorious fashion. But... You know, that was something that was so traumatic. I think it was purged from his memory until later in the episode when he's, you know, sitting in the bath, relaxing, and then boom, trigger. And I think I think that's so great. I mean, you get episode one so fast-paced, so to the point. Episode two slows you down to about as slow as this series gets and really makes you consider a lot of the consequences before you even understand what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you put it a glitch. I mean, he has a glitch, you know, mentally, you know, being connected to this thing, being overloaded, not just by the experience, you know, writ large, but the experience of being in sync with the Eva Mm -hmm. is, you know, we as normal folk here that have never gotten to a plug suit can't imagine it. I think, I, I think you know, well, I think you're supposed to be able to imagine it in a certain way. I mean... Well, you're guided to it by this episode. I think this episode gives you what you need to relate to him when you can't actually relate to him. And that's why it's so good. Right. And it kind of dives into the being part of something and, and being being part of something, but yet everything being beyond your control, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because, I mean, nothing is within his control in this episode. I mean... They're about to put him in a hole in the the nerve, you know, some closet in nerve to kind of shack up. <laughs> you know, Masato doesn't want to take that. You know, she wants to, you know, take him. Ritsuko gives some token resistance, but, you know, Masato has a game plan, right? So, you know, she carjacks him, steals him away, and reveals her, uh, you know, massive drinking problem, right? <laughs> I mean, what, what, you know what's the first thing I thought, Joe? I thought, how the fuck does she burn off all those carbs? Because she pretty much just has rice and beer. Like, that is <laughs> insanely, number one, unhealthy diet. But number two, Jesus, she weighs like two pounds, you know? I mean, well, when, we, when we've seen her in action, you know, we know she has what it takes. I guess, you know, her training program must be... The, the, the drunken way, you know, the, the drunken fist. Well, no, but you're like, no, like whatever, whatever you have to be to be, you know, you know, top operations officer in nerve. I mean, well, you have to act like a man, which is what she continually reinforces, you know, right? And that's the line. You're a boy. Act like a man. In a way. Yeah. Yes. In a way. So she, she's, she's the man, you know, and I think in some ways she would, would prefer to be in the, that position, you know, to be in an act, in a more action focused position. I mean, she does, she does as much action as she can, but I think she would do even more if she could. Right. And and this is, this is what, you know, to latch on back to this, I think is one of her motives for wanting to pick Shinji up here. You know, we don't know why she's doing what she does and we won't get to that until after this clump of episodes, but forecasting that a bit, you know, you're right. She would be out there. She would fight that thing hand to hand if she had to. Yeah. And 
she can't. And so she grabs the thing that is closest to what she wants to do, which is Shinji. Right. You know, Ray, Ray is out of her reach. Ray is out of everyone's reach. Not, not Gendo's. Well, that's why I'm saying that, you know, that's, that's his pet project. And it's very clear every time you see her after the first episode, when she's in, you know, incapacitated, that she's basically attached to the hip with him whenever he's around. Well, I mean, Shinji gets in there a little bit. Well, we'll get to that. Well, I mean, it's the commander's son. You know, there's, there's got to be, I mean, that's got to be... A lineage, uh, a lineage of thirst. Wouldn't be the only one in this series. <laughs> that's, that's very true. You know, R- Ritsuko has some line about, you know, the Ikari men uh, being a certain way in, I think, the first episode. And, like, knowing what we know later about her involvement with Gendo, it's like, yeah, you you are speaking from more experience than than most people. But unfortunately, lots of people have had that experience. What, what, what's what's Masato's line to Shinji? Uh, take, take advantage of everything here. It's like, okay, then followed by nudity. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff there. Right. And, and I like that. I like that there is sort of that comic dimension in their home lives. Oh, absolutely. And, and like pen pen, you know, showing up just out of nowhere and, you know, giving them the side eye, like the meanest, fiercest side eye that, that you know, the OG side eye probably. I mean, this is 95, right? I mean, right. You no, know, there are a lot of there are a lot of like firsts in this, at least relative to our generation. Like Shinji is the first kid that I know of that has like what I'm going to coin now as like Deku syndrome, where, you know, he wins so much, he ends up in the hospital every time. True. You know, but yeah, Pen Pen, you know, the, the mascot that's more than just a mascot. Yeah, it's 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 experience, you know. I mean, I mean, who who really has the drinking problem? Like by body mass, it's probably him. Uh, yeah, penguins penguins shouldn't drink alcohol. Kids don't drink alcohol. <laughs> Speaking of things that are kind of trippy and made me think of inebriated experiences, that multicolored room where Sile uh, was operating, you know, Chairman Keel's there. You got the other grunts, you know, the the color coded grunts. I mean. That that just made me made me laugh. Well, you know, seeing it again. You know, we got like Mister Yellow, Mister Green, Mister Red. You know, with the with the like hooked nose and just the weaselly voices. I mean, and it's funny because like you know, there's this that that's like the inner inner circle. Then you get like the rest of the committee that you don't see because there are more like monoliths out there. But these guys, you know, meet face to face and. I guess they're supposed to be like big shots at the various powerful nations that continue to survive, right? I guess they didn't look very multi-ethnic. So, I mean, but also I couldn't tell. So, I mean, they theoretically could be. Yeah, it, it's hard to place exactly what the distribution is. You know, to, to set the stage here, you know, Second Impact kills about half the Earth's population. You know, so about three billion, you know, mostly instantaneously. Sure. And so where people end up, who's in charge of what, you know, why like various foreign hardware is in Japan concentrated here like this is something that we don't have a great feel for. Mm -hmm. You know, we know eventually that places like China, the United States, Germany continue to exist as, you know, somewhat sovereign states. But everywhere else in the world, it's really hard to get a grasp for what's going on. Yeah. And. The thing is, is that 
I mean, look, if, I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, they're bankrolling nerve, they're the 1%. Is there that much diversity in the one percent? Whoa, 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 whoa! Let's not go there. First of all, you know, at this point, we don't know who's alive and what their, you know, per capita income is. I mean, frankly, at this point, most of the poor, the 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 poor of the world might be dead. You know, considering the fact that you know, if if you're cutting off, you know, essential services, there's you know these giant attacks. I mean, that's what typically happens. Is you know the 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 better offs, you know, save their own skins, you know, hide, retreat to their fancy geo front well i mean but th- i mean and this is the nice thing i guess I, it's hard to say that are you about to are you about to compliment the rebuild no 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 i was going to say about second impact is that because it was instantaneous you know normally what you're talking about you know running away to the bunker in the hills because you own that couldn't happen yeah you know so i think i think it would be a little more equitable a distribution of attrition then we would see if it were a drawn out process. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I mean, um, the the funny little Easter egg I caught was that, um, and I think it's episode four, actually. Um, I think it's four, might be three, where, uh, actually no, four, four, Shinji runs away and he's in the movie theater. And the, the movie is Second Impact. <laughs> I, I, I caught that. That was my one thing I caught, which I'm like, oh shit, it's, yeah, I didn't get that before. Then I realized, oh no, this is Second Impact. Oh, really? Yeah, because you're focusing on the fact that Shinji's there being a bitch and, you know, watching people oh, make out. No, you're focusing on the people making out in that corner. No, no, man. I was, I always knew that. I was really engaged by that because it's such a great way to sort of... Slide it in there. Yeah, and they did this a lot. Like the teacher droning on, you know, things that are on the radio in Misato's car when they're not talking. You know, there are a lot of little hints. The most Evangelion hint of all is the cicadas. right. You know, it's an endless summer now, so you always have cicadas out there making noise. You know, so there's a lot of things like that. But yeah, the movie, the movie, Second Impact, like, you know, what is that? The Day After Tomorrow, Deep Impact. Essentially. Armageddon. Except for it doesn't end very well. It's not like a happy ending there. You know, it's like, oh, we barely survived, maybe. They don't tell the whole, they don't tell the whole story because the story's been retconned, right? Right, right, right. And that's the funny thing, because, you know, we end up finding out later that the guy in charge of the expedition there was Misato's father. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this again, like, you know, there are people like they're chastising some scientist fellow or whatever in the movie. And it's like, that character has got to be based on Misato's dad. I wonder if she's watched this movie. I'm sure she has. I wonder if she hates it. Yeah, or, or just or maybe refuses to see it because it's too difficult for her to see. You know, I mean, especially if she knows if she, you know, has reason to know, which I you know, we'll find out she probably does. Oh yeah. Yeah. That that it that the the official line is bullshit, you know. Yeah. So I think that's an important thing about this episode, sort of this intro to the deeper world, the 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 machinations that are going on, this human instrumentality project, which is thrown out there, you know, an eight and a half by eleven paper. <laughs> that, that's very ominous you know especially with that font i i want that letterhead really it's it's great yeah we know nothing about it here also also ritsuko is totally jealous of ray i like i picked up on that you know definitely with the the, the attention that ray gets it's it's oh yeah it, it, it you continue to see this at different points you know she'll give a glance you know the scene will focus on her face she'll clench her fist she'll stuff her hand in her pocket the body language, like, this is this is why I didn't want to review this series because I knew it would like spill over into me like reaching excess. But there's so many great subtle things about this, and I think the body language is one of it. Yeah, 
across the board. There's so many subtexts and layers to the interactions that you see, that you hear. But yeah, I mean, to get across the point that like this woman in her 30s is jealous of this girl, 14 year old girl. Yeah. Well, but and, you know, as we find out much later, Ritzko knows so much more about Ray than anybody else who's not her mother. Right. Which kind of brings us around, you know, that that whole sequence brings us around eventually to the to the fight itself, you know, right? Which is savage, you know, just like this kind of social dynamic, social warfare can sometimes be savage, you know. I think it's easy to focus on, you know, the savagery, especially since we're, we're you know, guys, you know, when we think about our combat as very violent, you know, our middle school days when we were 14, you know, we're wrestling, there was blood, there was fights in the courtyard, there were things that went down. Right. Well, I mean, but and we get that here, too. It's great. You know, Toji, Toji, like, one punches Shinji. Well, well, Toji, Toji comes a little later. I mean, he comes to episode three. I want to point out that he's done something that millions of us have only dreamed about doing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that is the epitome of what I talk about when I talk about upfront confrontational violence, right? But don't downplay what's going on there with, you know, the Ritsuko Masato, Ritsuko Rei, you know, even Masato Rei. You know, there's lots of there's lots of games going on behind the scenes there, and those are those are valuable too. So, I mean, when you're talking about fight, you're still talking about episode two here, then, right? Yeah, yeah. And I just want to throw out two things real quick to finish it. I mean, I mentioned a little bit about the fight and how you know gory it was, but I think there's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, obviously, you have the the imagery, right? Which is is I think one of the things that kind of hit me as a 14 year old who was kind of religious, you know, was oh they're throwing this you know Christian imagery in there, right? You got the cross beam. You know, the suicide, a suicide, a death that leads to a cross, you know, or, you know, an attempt to sacrifice yourself to, to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, rebirth, you know, regeneration, you know, I mean, there's lots of there's lots of, you know, symbology in that. I think that was that was really interesting. You know, and of course, there's lots of symbology in Gendo having pretty much a full chub after they win that battle, because, I mean, that is like one of the most satisfied I think in that episode, in that moment, is one of the most satisfied looks that you ever see from him. Oh, I, I mean, I, I'm going to say the one that I like is even before that. The scene that I think for me, like, turns the corner is right before he's about to get in or not get in as it you know was probably going to be. You know, there's an explosion. Stuff is falling from the ceiling. He thinks he's going to get crushed. He thinks Ray's going to get crushed. He tries to help her. And then, and then the arm activates. The arm comes up, shields him. And that smug look that Gendo has there. Because he knows. He's like, we got this. But he also knows why it did that. Yeah. I mean, Misato and Ritsuko are there. It's like, this could work. He's like, no, it's already over. You know, we won. The rest of it is just the show. Right. And to me, like that scene, like it breaks the tension at that moment, you know, because you're like, no, this is impossible. How is this, you know, whiny little kid going to be able to pull this off? It's like, well, he doesn't have to. His mama will take care of it for him. (laughs) Yep. And that is how the series starts. Yeah, it's 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 fresh. I mean, and then, you know, just going going into going past that and then running right into episode three, you know, which, like you said, punches you right in the face yeah yeah like <laughs> i mean it's it's an it's an intro to this to you know and i the beginning you know gradually brings you into these characters and i'm so glad it does that because these characters have depth they have 
corners to them. They have edges, you know? You get an episode of Simasado, then you get kind of Gendo, then you have Ritsuko, and then you have, you know, uh, the class, right? So you have Toji hmm. and... Um, Kensuke. Ida, Ida, yeah, Kensuke Ida, right? Yeah. And uh, Toji Suzuhara, right? Yes. So, and um, Hikari, too. Um, yes. Although she comes up more later on because... You know, right now she doesn't have, you know, like a female friend there to bond with. Right. And, you know, I was thinking about this actually right before this episode. We know that later on, you know, she develops some feelings, you know, romantically. But I wonder whether or not the seed of that was even planted at this point or if she was just like, you know, these two guys are knuckleheads. I can't deal with this, you know, and who's this new kid that they're beating up? Well, I mean, you know, it depends on if you're thinking like practically or did the series set it up? I mean, frankly, watching it, I didn't I may have picked up. I mean, if you want to read a lot into it, but, you know, we've already watched the series. We know that it builds later on. Right. You know, in reality, attraction is usually pretty instant. Uh, on some level, you know, even if you're just like musing, yeah, I'd hit that, you know, or, or like Toji says, like Toji says, which I love, and which is the next episode, which, you know, his mind is, is where I would be, you know, meeting Masato. It's like the first thing he says is, you know, she's such a, she's such a babe, you know, right? I mean, immediate, boom, that's attraction right there. So did, did that happen for Hikari? Well, you know, considering Japanese norms and the fact that, you know, she's not going to vocalize that. She doesn't have a, a female friend to go off and, and talk to and say, you know, oh, my God, Toji is, is the, the, my boy. Uh, I think I think I, I would agree. Probably it probably was there on some level. I think she probably instantly got it on some level. It, it hurts me to hear you say that, though, considering you're right. Toji is like on some levels just a complete slob. You know, he's drooling over. Misato, he ends up drooling over Ray later, even though they've been classmates for a while. You know, he just. But you can identify with that. I mean, as a fourteen-year-old, I was drooling over Misato. Yes. I was drooling over lots of people, lots of girls. You know, so yes, that that's identifiable. You know, and no, he definitely he's on the mark, and I appreciate him so much more now, being older and looking back and thinking, you know what, that's actually kind of realistic you know when i take a census of my memories and my interactions with my friends what they talked about him and kensuke you know bsing in class like that was really nostalgic Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that was what we did right yeah i mean two guys that don't have a lot in common but you know form this kind of unusual school type bond that you don't really get in too many other places no you, you really you really don't it's a unique time where you can bond with people who are different than you you know i mean you get you know, especially nowadays, honestly, I, I wind up, you know, meeting people who have, you know, similar interests, right? I mean, you know, people who are in common interest communities, right? People and, and you know, you can discover people who are different even through that. But, you know, you don't have the opportunity like school to meet somebody who's so different. I mean, Shinji and Toji are so different. I mean, they, they could not be more different. But they end up getting to the point within a couple episodes where, you know, Toji steps up, you know, later as Shinji's trying to run away on that train and, you know, promises that, that, you know, he'll beat up anybody who uh, he needs him to beat up. Right. Yeah. It's an endearing kind of story in. And it starts with this and this has happened a lot of places. I mean, even with you and me, I mean, there's a little bit of, you know, competition, a little bit of friction to begin with a little bit of animosity, maybe even, you know, and, uh, I don't remember having to stab anybody in front of you to become your friend, though. That's true. That's true. Which is basically what happens here. Like, you know, Toji hates his guts 
And it's not until really like he gets to see him in this super vulnerable moment that he can begin to understand where Shinji's coming from. But Toji has a legit reason. I mean, his sister was injured in the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, to take nothing away from that. Like that interaction where he... And, And Kensuke narrates this really well. It's like, you know... He's like, he's apologizing to Shinji, but he's also not stopping his friend from beating Shinji up. Right, because he knows that's a valid reaction. Yeah, it's like, you just have to understand, you know, this happened. You know, he can't hold it in. He, you know, he's, he's a teenager. It's on you because there's nobody else. And Shinji, I can understand, you know, just taking it. He feels guilty. He feels responsible, even though, like you said before, not a lot of this is in his control, including that fight. He's accepted the pain. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't stand up for himself in any way, and that's just his that's just his response pattern at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to see kind of the that play out that relationship play out through the battle, right? The Shamshell battle. First of all, tentacles, by the way. You know, I keep thinking about it like the design for Shamshell is just pretty boring. Yes, they're tentacles, but like it's uninspiring. Uh, you know. I, I always I always like it because it, it it intros like a lot of new weapons which I which I love I love the weaponry I mean the the LR stuff can't get enough cred there but you know the pallet rifle comes out the prog knife which is the, the ultimate winner and you know it's it's an interesting it's an interesting fight even though yes Shamshul's not the most innovative of the angels you know certainly not one that's going to win any beauty contest no you're you're right it showcases. It showcases that Shinji really has no survival instincts whatsoever. No. Or combat reaction. Like, he botches the fight, and then, you know, rather than trying to preserve himself, which is what his superior is telling him to do, he goes and does something stupid. Yep. And barely, barely makes it. I mean, by the by the countdown, you know? I mean, he was on seconds, right? So, I mean, it, it worked out in, in the ultimately, yes, it earned Toji's respect, which is probably more important, I guess, in the long run. Uh, but, well, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll get there. But, I mean, I, I, I could identify with that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of takes us into episode four, which, you know, once again gets into... Let me back. Let me backtrack because this is actually something I want to talk about. And I almost forgot. I think it's important because we see both kinds here very early. That there's a difference in my mind of the feeling between a you know sort of the the battle episodic structure for like Sachiel, where there's a cliffhanger. It's split between two episodes, and one like Shamshell, where it's you know, the episode is the story of like, okay, it rises up, you're going to have this fight, and then it ends at the end. And, you know, there's fallout from it afterward. I I found myself, at least in this early batch, really liking, you know, the cliffhanger ones, you know, Sachiel and Ramiel a lot more than the ones that were self-contained, you know, even going forward past the batch we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, it just felt like there was more space to sort of flesh out what was going on versus here. Okay, it flies in. He has to rise up. He does something. He does something else. It's over. Right. I mean, there's I mean, the good thing about this kind of seven episode arc here is you see three different fights. Right. You know, you see the fight with Sachel and then Shamshel and then Ramiel. Right. And Ramiel's two episodes Satchel's two episodes, but Shamshel's just one. It's a, uh, frankly, a pretty small part of one. 
Yeah, and then you get this episode four that is really just like trying to clean up after that. And this is one of my least favorite episodes. Really? Episode four, The Hedgehog? Because, I mean, frankly, that's one of the things that got with me. Uh, you know, I've always quoted that for a long time. Oh, no, there, there, are, there are a lot of like kernels of wisdom throughout this early part here. You know, being, being close to people and how difficult that is. I mean, that is always something that, you know, sort of a theme that's kind of stuck with me. And, you know, I, I've carried it, you know, carried it through and it's, it's helped guide me, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, because. Yeah, definitely agree. Definitely agree. It, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that the interplay there and seeing, you know, the reaction of the reaction of Shinji, which is to run away and how that's not an answer to anything. You know, physically running away, sitting on the train, playing your Linkin Park crawling in my skin, you know. Yo, yo, too soon. Sure, sure. Chester's dead, man. I don't want to alienate everybody in the fan base. It, it, it was a while ago. It was a while ago. Right. But it, but it was a very, you know, if we're talking about Shinji running away, being depressed, putting himself out there. Well, not not out there to take the services, the special services from the hot babes that are offered to him. No, but he, he's like clearly intensely depressed at this moment. You know, he's in a dangerous part of his life. If he wasn't so utterly passive, you'd be worried about him hurting himself. Sure. And you're kind of glad he runs into Ida to kind of set him up there, you know, and give him that interaction. Yeah. Again, like the most level-headed person he's met so far. And that's really weird to say, considering he's also like this oddly prescient figure of what the actual generation in 2015 would be like, you know, all camera phones and guns. Well, and they're all, they're all, these are a cream-picked group, you know, they're all motherless for a reason, right? I mean, potential. That's not, that sounds like an insult, but... <laughs> But no, no, thinking about Kensuke, he's, you know, he likes to film everything. He, he's kind of geeky about weird, dangerous things. Did I tell you that was my first cosplay was Kensuke? I think I've even seen a photo. Really? I think so. Oh, cool. Uh, I mean, you'll, you'll need to show me again, but I feel like I knew that pretty well. Yeah, and I I, I wish I would have had a full crew, though. That, that would have been a, a better... Right. But I mean, in that, you know... I'm, I'm going to call you out here in a way you and really to some degree, all of us kind of resembled that. Yeah. You know, we were really geeky about certain specific things like that. We would be willing to steal information even out of our own homes, you know, to learn more about it, sneak out of the shelter, go out, do stupid things. And we would have stockpiled, you know, you know, airsoft guns if we could. We were just too broke to do it. Well, I, I did have some guns, but right, yeah, but I'm not as many as he does. No, not nearly, not nearly as many. I mean, he's got this tent. He's got all this stuff. I will say, nerve security was surprisingly not on point, and not find him in the public places and the trains that probably have cameras, and but you'd find him in the tent. You know, agreed. They were they were really really lax. I mean, and you see it different ways. Like you know, Misato calls them every morning when he leaves to school. You know, how could he slip away and no one noticed? Yeah, he, he's not like, you know, the special agent here. He's a... Yeah, he's not even trying to dodge people. He's just lumbering around. Yeah, and they, they don't see this emo kid? They do They do throw out here, which is very important. They throw out the fact that it's got to be exactly 14-year-olds. Yes. It, it hinges around the date of second impact there, but we'll get back to that. Sure. Because I, I do want to pick on like the nerve organization a bit more here. 
it, it feels like, you know, rewatching it now and being like in a bureaucracy now myself, it feels like there's more work than there are capable people to do it, probably because half the people died and there's just all this stuff left over. You know, Misato has no neighbors. I'm not even sure anyone lives in her building. Well, that was the whole issue with the people walking by, right? Do you remember that when the people are kind of walking by Shinji and they mention like, oh, yeah, you know, my husband and I might move away. You know, this place is, you know, even though it's a fortress, it's still dangerous. You know, why should we live here? I mean, and thinking about it, you know, that's what made me laugh about the geofront. You know, who would want to work? I mean, even if it can go underground, who would want to work in that exposed skyscraper, you know, that's just asking to be blown up? It's 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 too much of a risk for what you know economically it makes economically it makes no sense you know from an they got to be paying them well that's all I can imagine right right and I guess like if you're you know you need some staff there to like service the avas and like service the defensive structures and stuff. Oh, you need a lot of people to keep that place together I mean there's not you don't see a lot of automation in the very intricate sense you know there are no drones there are no autonomous robots you know not things that no and and I. And I think that that's kind of a, a function of when this series was was made. I think that it, you know my prediction is if it was kind of done later, you know, done in the the mid two thousands, I think that drones would have been included because I think that's just a logical extension. I wonder. I wonder because again, you know, you're talking about almost a complete collapse of civilization in the year two thousand. The fact that they're in twenty fifteen and able to do anything is actually really impressive. Uh, in a way, well, in a way or in a way not. I mean, you know. Well, I think it's one of the messages that the director is trying to get across to us because you see, yes, it's this barren kind of world. You know, there are not a lot of people. But they're focused. But the people are focused and they have it. They have an existential. They're so focused. There is. They have an existential threat. I mean, I think that one thing that humanity is good at, and I think this is something this does focus on, when humanity has has a threat. We're very good at confronting that threat and beating it. I totally disagree with you, by the way, but this is something that in popular media likes to be valorized. Actually, I think we're terrible shit awful at confronting existential threats. I, I think it... No, no, no. I, I, I know where you're coming from, and I'm going to agree with you, Joe, but I'm going to disagree in, in so far as the, you know, the threats that you're talking about, which are very important, which I think we're going to talk about in separate episodes, especially when we're focusing on like environmental issues, for example, which are existential threats to humanity, but are a slow burn. But when you have something that is a giant in your face cataclysmic threat, you know, like something like, you know, nuclear war or, you know, something very, very large, you know, uh, you know, some sort of conflict, you know, those are more readily addressed than um, something that's that's insidious, right? You know, like a decline, like a decline of civil of, of culture or civilization or something like that, you know, which is more insidious. It's hard to put your finger on it. It's hard to fight it. You can't stab it in the face. But this is something that involves essentially battle conflict. Right. And, and rather than argue about real history, I, I think, you know, looking at this, it, it's a great showing by the production team that they want to believe that humanity can mobilize itself to the utmost in the face of an emergency. The conflict with Ramiel, I think, is the pinnacle of this. I mean, they go from having no plan to having to execute one of the most technically complex plans I've ever heard of in the space of about a day. Mm -hmm. You know, they get a spaceship, a particle accelerator that they make into a weapon, 
and they connect, you know, the entire power grid of Japan into a single point. Yes, I love that. The entire power grid of Japan. Think about that for a second, ladies and gentlemen. The entire power grid of Japan. Japan, I mean, even if they have a fraction of what they have, they have several nuclear reactors. You know, it is, it is, that is a lot of power going into that being. And they have half the people with which to do it relative to what you'd expect right now. Right. I mean, the, the, the power output to human ratio is probably higher, frankly, because, oh yeah, you know, they're not burning off as much of it, but, but it's, it's crazy. But it's something that, you know, while you're watching them go through all this, you're feeling pretty hyped up. It's like, yeah, you know, we're doing it. We're coming together. We're doing this thing. Well, and the risk is real, too, because, I mean, you see that, like, you know, they can't approach it up close. They're good. They would fail if they did. You know, they've got to do this particular strategy, which is massive gun, you know, take it out, all this power, you know, coming together. Misato, as our fearless leader in this, is so sanguine throughout this. You know, she's not resigned she's not grim you know she's cracking jokes about it while it's going on you know you can tell she's she's happy in the moment fighting this fight Mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy in its way yeah and you know it's a crazy plan right i mean it's a crazy plan in which you know they're having to you know throw ray out in front of it throw ray out to block for shinji you know you know take this shot I mean, let, let, yeah, let's get down to that detail because, you know, Shinji asks about that. He's like, well, what happens if I miss? They're like, well, don't think about that. Right. Just hit it the first time. It's like, are you crazy? You have to have a contingency plan if you're going to invest all, if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket. Right. You've got to do everything. You know, I, I understand the motivation. You don't want him to doubt himself. But, you know, that means that everything he did after that first shot misfired was improv. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, at least you t- at least you say to him, "Hey, look, if you miss, take another shot." You know, at least I like, give him that, give him that option. Like your option is take another shot, even if the timing doesn't work and it's going to melt half of Ray's Ava before yeah. you can get another shot. Take the shot. You know, I mean, like don't tell him that you know his other pilot's probably going to die, but. Right. Well, that's what she's there for, though, right? I mean, I mean, you know, she's not there for to do nothing. I mean, she's there to to do that, you know, to right. But you know, again, this is Shinji who saw her first, who saw her in pain and decided to get in the Ava in the first episode. Who's trying to bond with her? Well, she he kind of he kind of connects with that, yeah. Her insularness, you know, the no friends, the really kind of erased past, you know. I mean, that's that's something that I think, in a way, he identifies with, right? birds of a feather right you know you find like the the biggest dweeb on the planet and you stick him with the second biggest one and and there you go that that's your dream team right now no wonder they had to import talent from the other side of the planet (laughs) and we're not getting there yet we're we're only going up to seven joe right right so i think that the the bond here is is really important you know when especially you know the angel attack goes what it is you know I think we've kind of gone through that, but I mean, you know, that, that point when, you know, he opens the the hatch, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, he finds her alive and he's so relieved and, and just tells her to keep smiling. I mean, that's a, that, that's, that's, I think an important moment there between them and kind of shows that initial connection. It is. And I mean, you know, I should not try to connect this to my true colors here, but 
it feels sometimes when I think about that sequence that it's a bit overdone, that it is so exactly similar to, you know, her failed experiment before and Gendo having to save her in almost exactly the same pose. I, I get it. Yeah, she's so dense. You have to hit it so precisely for her to make the connection. The, the mirroring there, yeah. But, I mean, for the rest of us, it's a coincidence that is that took, you know, the entire power grid of Japan in order to manufacture. I mean, just to get them into the same posture, you had to go through this whole experience. Sometimes it takes a, a grand gesture, right? Yes, and, and it certainly was one. I mean, it, it was nothing short of miraculous in its way. And I'm not saying that never happens. I could even point to some things in my own life where I've felt that kind of instantaneous shock about something. But compared to like a lot of the other parts of this that feel very subtle and accessible at the same time, this was so in your face, glaring, powerful. It's like, this is the moment, you know, I mean, never mind her standing there cast against the full moon, you know, them talking about why they pilot and, you know, all that sappy stuff that really ultimately touches her. Right. And something that really was in the face, which, you know, always got me, is going to the next episode with the jet alone and how in how <laughs> in your face giant slap to all the rest of mechadom that is, right? I mean, because the, the that that is that is so in your face, that is so on the nose, saying, Hey, Gun and Macross, all these other series that the mecha series here. Th- this is you right here. I mean, because let's be real, that's the only real robot in this series. The, and Ava is at best a cyborg. I mean, because of its biological and mechanical components, at best. But as, as Ritzko said, I think even in the first or second episode, you know, mostly it's restraints. Yeah, yeah. I know. I think she says that in seven, too, because she does a lot of explanation in the beginning. Yeah, and it comes up again later, much later, when it finally breaks them again. Right. But yeah, I mean, that's not to power it. That's at best to compliment it. Yeah. No, th- this was, I mean, actually, I, I want since you're talking about in your face, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that I don't think I knew before, but went through watching episode seven again, when they're, you know, it, it's, there's this conference where they're going to show this thing off, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Ritsuko and Misato are flying there together and they're commenting about how it's in old Tokyo, right? And so it's not discussed in the series that I can remember directly, maybe in one of the recap episodes coming up that I haven't watched yet. But I knew that in the in the history of Ava, Tokyo is destroyed not by the effects of second impact, but actually by humans using a nuclear weapon on it. It is an attack Mm -hmm. that destroys Tokyo. And so here this company is with their nuclear-powered robot inside the nuclear wasteland. You can even see as they're running across it. This is what triggered me. It's like, where are they running this robot through where there's no scenery, you know, where it's just like gray, scratched-up ground? It's like, oh, it's a, it's a blast caldera. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff was flattened. It's dead. You know, the imagery here is so intense. I mean, you know, the guys in the bunker watching it, it looks like an atomic test from the 50s. Right. You know, this this is like this is the Godzilla episode, you know, but Godzilla is the robot instead. Yeah. And it's interesting to, you know, to find out. Well, first of all, you know, you get 
the action hero parts from from Masato here. I mean, suiting up and going in. I mean, that that's. I mean, to me, that was like insane. You know, to even attempt that. Right. Of all of all the plans, like that's the one that she wants to go with. Right. You know, and and of course, not like, hey, Shinji, pick this thing up and carry it you know, to the ocean or something, or, you know, just chop its legs off so it'll at least blow up here where something blew up a while ago and we don't care as much. Right, and then we'll throw, like, a containment unit over it or something, like a containment box, you know, and just let it melt down like a Chernobyl or like a Fukushima. Well, I mean, it was on the order of maybe an hour or so they had, so they probably couldn't have done that, but at least stop it from walking to the town versus, oh, no, you know, we're going to bank everything on the fact that the programming that we swore was going to work and doesn't work is what we're going to use to stop this thing. Of course, it's not going to work. Yeah, of course. You know, and of course it was sabotage, right? I mean, that's the only way. Well, this is... <laughs> I, I I had actually forgotten when I was rewatching it all the layers of that sabotage and the show they put on for it until I went through it. Mm-hmm. It's It's brilliant. It's a beautiful, like, stage they set for this thing to fail on. Yeah, and we, we find out more about it later, too, right? I mean... Well, it closes up at the end there. You know, Ritsuko goes back and reports to Gendo and says everything went according to plan, except, you know, you know, Misato had to do something. Right, right, right. I mean, it would have been... You know, she she's the programmer. She programmed it to fail. Right, and if it had gone... And, and that shows how far they're willing to go, you know, because, I mean, if it had gone and melted down in that city and taken out that city, that's an acceptable outcome for Gendo and Ritsuko. Yeah, they, they took that risk, and but even if it failed, it would have still been right along what they wanted, except Ritsuko's friend is in there suddenly. Right. You know, she curses her for doing it, but... I mean, I think she was still... She lets it go. She doesn't tell her. Yeah, she's still willing to let it happen, exactly. I mean, if it happened, if it happened, I think, you know, maybe Ritsuko would be upset, but part of the part of the deeper plan, right? There, there was another layer to this that I really enjoyed, is that... You know, when I was watching it again, not remembering this episode well, it's not really one of my favorites. Oh, no, I, I, I'm a big in defense of the Jet alone. <laughs> we'll get back to that. But Ritsko's there. She's like the only person who's like questioning the guy who's presenting it, right? Mm-hmm. And he pretty much takes her for a ride. You know, he pulls a lot of like unfair lines on her, you know, about hysteria, a woman out of control, things like that you know, clearly undermining her authority to stand there and be in the discussion. And she takes it. You know, Misato's the one there cringing and, and later on, you know, flipping out and, you know, breaking the room that they were staying in there. And, and Ritsko just takes it very calmly, you know, about this abuse of, you know, her program, you know, the Evangelion unit not being controllable. And it totally sets this guy up to look like an ass because his unit is the one that's out of control. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, she's willing to go there and put her reputation on the line, you know, to get like dissed in front of all these people just to make this happen. And I mean, you know, that that was that moment where I realized, you know, she's really scary. She is she is something else. She is on a level where well, she's committed. Right. I mean, that's the thing, you know, and 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 that was the the creepy line, you know. She's burning like this paper there to get her frustration out, I guess. And you know, she talks about the guy who's running the show there. It's like you know, he he's a he's a small man. So so cutting, yeah. As if she knew a greater one to admire instead. 
Well, that was the whole thing. I mean, she's 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 totally committed, enthralled. In that's a great word. Yeah, enthralled to to Gendo. Yeah. So it, it's it shows the, the slavishness of dedication to a higher cause. But she knows too. She she's too smart not to know what she's doing. Well, the, but I think that a lot of the people know. I mean, I think when you know when you're committed, and I don't think you've ever been committed. Oh, oh no! You guys tease me about this all the time about the sacrifices that I've made. Okay, and okay I keep I telling you, back. no, I knew what I was doing. Yes, it was stupid, but I did it. And I think she's in the same position. Yeah, and then I think when okay that that that's a good that's a good one, Joe. That's a good one. So I think that when you're in a position like that, where you're totally, you know, where, where you're fixated on something or someone, and you're still an, you're still a smart intellectual person, you know what's going on. You can tell yourself objectively, I'm doing this, and you know, maybe this isn't in my best self interest, but I can't, I can't help it. It's just automatic, you know. And I am going to fight for this tooth and nail to the death as hard as I can, giving my 100 percent effort and. It's it's scary. And what makes me think that is that Ritsko criticizes Misato's decisions very adeptly through these early episodes. You know, she exposes her, you know, about, you know, what her motivations are regarding Shinji or regarding her choice of what she wants to do operationally with the Avas. And she's usually right. You know, she has great insight into her friend there and her dysfunctions. So I can't imagine that she has no clue at all about herself. Yeah, and I, I think that she's she reads people pretty well. So I, I think that, you know, she definitely has to read that, you know, about herself. Also, having watched her mother kind of go through it as well probably helps. Yeah, yeah. So that that's, that's what I had for the Jet Alone episode. N- nothing about its ungainly appearance. It's hideous color scheme. Uh, it's lankiness. Nah, I love that color scheme. I love those rods, man. The rods have just come up like spikes. I mean, it's just great, you know. It, it had it had a good it had a good length to it, you know. I can appreciate a lanky uh, lanky figure. I mean, I've seen concept art of what it would look like if it were armed or upgraded, and okay, I can sort of get behind it. But as it is in that test run, I mean, when you say you know, this is supposed to be like the Gundams of the world and poking fun at them. It's like, that hurts, man. That really hurts. This thing is so ugly. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's what they, you know, that's what they throw out there. Well, but and you're right. You're right. You know, compared to that, Evangelion Unit 1 is beautiful. It, you know, is... Well, but it's more, it's more human in a way. Absolutely. And I think that's that's part of it. It moves... It moves in a way that that is very identifiable for us, but without falling into that sort of uncanny valley where it's so human as to look disturbing. Except when the mask comes off. That's exactly where I was going to go. When it's when it you know is off like that, and later on when we get glimpses of Lilith, who is definitely disturbing. <laughs> you know that 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 is something that kind of triggers that, but otherwise it still looks alien it looks monstrous enough to be different but yet it's so much the same and it functions so much the same bringing out that kind of inner inner animal that's that's within all of us you know fight it, it represents the fight and fight or flight right well we the flight is in the pilot seat there well yeah right so the, the ava is the fight shinji is the flight <laughs> and you know we're not going to get 
tired of reviewing this series and saying, get in the damn robot shit. It's every single episode. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, people have kept saying, no, it's old. You have to let it die. It's, like, it's never going to die. You cannot let it die. When it when it's dead, you, you know, hit it with the defibrillator, <laughs> put, it in the, put it in the hospital, and then put it right back in the damn robot. Yeah. And, and you know, I know people are going to be grumpy about us taking that stand. And I think we'll wait until the end to really unpack why we're coming at it from that direction and why we're hard on him like people have been. There is a reason. It's not just because I think he's a sniveling little punk. No, no. And it, it actually, honestly, there, there's a lot of deeper themes. And, and especially recently, they mean more and more to me. So, you know, I have a lot of you know ammunition and thought behind why you know why I, I I want more from Shinji. Why I want more from Shinji, and I'll get into that. But that's not. I, I think he gives us he gives us all he can, and I don't want to beat him up more than Toji did for that. But what what Toji did was was definitely merited and good for him. I don't know if I want to say that, but yeah, no, good good for him, good for him. Because uh, I mean, I, I'm not into you know punching your way out of everything. But in the way that that developed, that, you know, relationship developed, that was probably the most healthy thing he could have done. Because, you know, an unhealthy thing is keeping that bottled in. I don't know, you know, Toji. All right. Well, quiz time then. Quiz time. Two people, you know, end up hitting Shinji in these early episodes. Which do you think did more? Toji punching him or Ray slapping him? Ray slapping him. I mean, I agree with you, but, you know, we did leave that one behind. But she she lets him have it. Yeah, it's true. In a very revealing moment for her. I mean, he was seeking that approval. Yeah, he was. He was really trying to, like, get on her side. It's like, oh, you know, he's he's such an awful guy, you know, this father of mine. And she's having none of it. Right, right. Because she doesn't, because Shinji is so short-sighted and so yeah. caught in his own bullshit that he cannot look into the world of others. And that's common for people who are, are inflicted by PTSD or who are critically depressed. Like that that's extremely common because they literally cannot focus on anything else because they're trying to cope with just keeping themselves together. That's that's normal. But then then I want to turn that around because, you know, later on, after he has his first encounter with Ramiel and gets roasted, you know, he comes to and Ray's there meeting him in the hospital. Yeah. Which is awfully nice of her considering she's kind of a mess and doesn't really interact with people that much. I mean, yes, she's on orders, but she stays to talk to him a bit. And she's like in her way, I guess, trying to encourage him. And he says something like, well, you just can't understand what I've been through having done this. You know, here's Shinji. Yes, you know, he's now a combat veteran. He's fought these things toe to toe and, you know, gotten his licks for it. Has he has he really fought them, though? Because, I mean, it's it's usually, you know, mama take the wheel. Well, I mean, look, just in that sequence, they put him out there and Ramiel blasts him into complete unconsciousness. He, he, he's knocked into a coma by that particle beam. So yeah, it probably hurt a lot, you know. Right. They had to restart his heart, all of it. The, but to imagine him knowing what we know about Ray for the rest of the series, telling her that she can't understand his pain was so ludicrous to me to, to see again. It's like, yeah, you're right. He has no idea what's going on with the people around him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he doesn't have the capacity to 
do that. I mean, he lacks the ability to do that. He, he tries, though, later. He tries to reach out to her. He tries to understand. But no, no, no. I'm not saying he I'm not saying he doesn't he doesn't try. But I mean, even, you know, his, his attempt, he he can't do it in that current state. It takes till the end of the series, really, for him to get there. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think I mean, w- when he watches Ray do that for him, shield him that way. You know, I think it's eye-opening for him that she's willing to go that far. I mean, yes, for the mission, but, you know, he doesn't see it that way. He identifies it with himself, you know, because they talked, because they bonded. Right. He he prescribes that to the personal relationship they have, not to, you know, what it is, which is, you know, her bond with Gendo and her commitment to the cause, right? I mean, she is another, she's another true believer. But it connects to him after the fact. You know, she has that well, because he's part of it. He's functionally part of this whole system, this ecosystem. Well, now he is. When he's in that moment, when he does the mission with her, when they succeed, now he's part of it. Before that, you know, what does she care for him at all? He's just another classmate, another pilot. You know, does he pilot? Does he not pilot? Who knows? Well, now she hasn't seen that many pilots or haven't been that many pilots, you know. Right, but she hasn't seen him pilot either. She's been in the hospital most of the time, so it's not like... She has any regard for what he did operationally. That's true. But and by the time of Ramiel, he's had two fights, right? I mean... Yeah, but she wasn't there for either one of them, is what I'm saying. Like, this is really like their first... Right, but how many angels has she, how many angels has she killed? Well, zero. And, and right, and that's where he's coming from. He's like, I have this over. Yeah, unit zero, unit, unit zero for zero kills. So, STFU. Yes, no, but what I'm saying is that we know very well because of Ray's backstory that's exposed later that she has suffered more than almost anyone for this program. Oh yeah. And Shinji just isn't in a position when he's, you know, feeling hurt, recoiling into himself to really connect to that. You know, I mean, I think that's the start. You know, that start when he goes to pull her out of the capsule is really where they begin and you know, I, I found myself enjoying watching Ray, you know, sort of fumble her way through this. It may be the nicest thing I ever say about her because I do have to stick to my guns here, stay in my camp, stay in my lane. But she she's a good girl. She may not be the best girl, but she's a good girl. Yeah. You know, a lot of that. <laughs> so on that. Well, I mean, and she breaks so many of like her own tropes that have been built up around her. She She makes a lot of attempts, you know, and I think you see. One of one of the things that I see from her is like most improved, you know, it's like most improved student. Right. Because <laughs> she's working from zero. There's a lot of improvement from zero. Absolutely right. And, and you know, it, it's it's something that makes me smile compared to, you know, with Shinji where it's like he'll he's sort of bipolar. He'll have the, like a moment, you know, where you think he's going to come through and then he just drops completely off, goes in the opposite direction or some of the characters which haven't been introduced, which you know, our full steam from uh, day one. <laughs> but, you know, one thing, one thing that I noticed when they were dressing up for that battle, you know, just sort of as a, as a final thing to say about Ray, you know, I'd never noticed this before, but when they're putting the plug suits on, Shinji, you know, in, in classic good kid form, folds up his clothes and lays them out neatly after he's done. Ray just drops her stuff on the floor wherever you know, she clearly... Are, are you praising that? I mean, what... what I, I'm not praising it. I'm saying I... Re- Do you not fold your clothes, Joe? What the fuck's wrong with you? I resemble that. I resemble that a lot. 
Yeah, a fucking mess, dude. I mean, come on. You have no order. You have no discipline. Well, and, and that's the thing. Who would ever dare accuse Ray of having no discipline? You know, she has this supernatural sort of aura of being ordered and precise that it exceeds everything that you even see on screen, but even contradicts it. Because you see on screen, she lives like a mess. It, it's It's so weird to me that she's been built up as this prim and proper figure when really she's just like well, I don't know who built her up as a prim and proper figure I mean I think that you know what what she what she more is is a we'll get into the fandom you know wars later but I think you know she's cast that way as being very orderly very precise oh sure 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 but I mean but at the same time she's struggling with this internal conflict of being a tool and I mean that in a, in a literal sense, not, you know, in a pejorative sense, you know, <laughs> being an instrument, you know, of this project, you know, and I, I think that's something that she grapples with. And I think her relationship, not just with Shinji, but with others in general, kind of shows her going beyond that. And that's the growth is, is stepping beyond just being a tool, having this, you know, singular identity, singular purpose, and kind of showcasing her humanity. And I'm so glad we're here, you know, to give that the recognition it deserves, you know, wholeheartedly, because starting with our next podcast after this, we're going to drop it completely and focus on something really important. <laughs> no, absolutely. We're not. So, that being said, thank you everybody for joining us. This has uh, been an extended episode because it was a lot. It was very beefy, but thank you for sticking with us for this review of Neon Genesis Evangelion episodes one to seven. We'll see you for the next review.